As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. A healthier, happier life begins here. Welcome to Mercy Moments, a podcast by Mercy Health in association with True Chat. Did you know that West Central Ohio has a vibrant and diverse agricultural history? Or that in Champaign County alone, there are well over 900 farms, encompassing roughly 436 square miles and contributing well over $130 million to the local economy. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm the host of Mercy Moments, T. Allen Sealer, coming to you from Champaign County here at True Chat Studios in Urbana, Ohio. My guest today is an expert on agriculture. He has worked as a research assistant at Monsanto Company and as a field agronomist for Integrated Ag Services and is currently the Ag Educator for the Ohio State Extension Program. Please welcome to the program, Grant Davis. Grant, welcome. Hello. Thank you. So we, we always like to start out by asking our listeners uh, to give us a little history about themselves. Yeah, yeah. I uh, grew up in the Christiansburg area, um, actually just over the, the county line in Miami County. Um, so just at the uh, very east side of Miami County there, uh, Miami East High School graduate, uh, went on to go to Ohio State, uh, got a degree in ag education. Um, at the time, thought that I wanted to be a high school ag teacher, um, you know, like Future Farmers of America, FFA, um, do all that kind of stuff, which I was very involved in that in my own high school career. So that's what I thought I would want to keep doing and just never really had the opportunity. Um, at that point in time, there weren't a lot of openings around the state and I wanted to try and stay in the area. Um, it just didn't work out, so never really have been in that aspect of education, of ag education, until I had the opportunity to, to come into Extension. And that's still considered a part of ag education, just not in you know a school setting, uh, just more of a, a community outreach and an extension of the university. So what made you pursue a career in agriculture? I grew up in a farming family. My father farmed for quite a while when I was younger and then decided uh, to, to make a change and, and get out of it. Um, both of my grandfathers uh, were involved in farming and uh, have an uncle that I still um, in, in, involved in farming with. So I kind of grew up in that, that aspect of it and just growing up, never really could see myself doing anything else, I guess. You know, you get to that point in high school that's like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to go to college for? And I just, I really liked ag class. I really liked FFA. I liked 4-H. So I knew I wanted to do something in ag and it was just a matter of what was I going to do? And my 
kind of have a, a line of teachers, I guess, uh, in the family as well. So that ag education just kind of seemed to fit at the time. Now you have your own farm, correct? Yes, I do. I mentioned my both my grandfathers farmed, and they both since passed on. But uh, I am lucky enough to have uh, some ground available uh, that they had owned and that's still in the family. Um, that I'm able to to get started farming and uh, do some grain farming and as well as beef cattle and uh, just direct to consumer uh, freezer beef sales. So I guess my first question is, what is the modern definition of a farm? And and the reason why I ask this is because there seems to be you know a number of hybrid or alternative use farms out there now. Absolutely. Um, so the the definition of a farm is pretty loose, really. Um, you know, as far as the IRS is concerned, um, if you gross over a thousand dollars from any product that's sold, you know, that you produced on your property, whether it be half an acre or a thousand acres, uh, that's considered a farm. So it's really that kind of dollar amount, and that's a, a gross number, not a net. So you know, really, if you sell one steer, you're at that $1,000 unless you're selling it really cheap, you know? <laughs> so, you know, that's a good point. So does the size of a farm matter in, in regards to what it's used for? Not really. Um, again, we're kind of getting into the technicalities uh, to qualify for what's called CAUV or uh, agricultural use, basically the land um, that has to be over 10 acres, unless you can prove that you're making money um, in an agricultural product from that smaller amount. Um, but yeah, there's, there really isn't a, t- a technicality as far as the size of a farm to be considered a farm. The reason why I asked that is in Champaign County, for example, there seems to be a lot of like 25 to 200 acre farms. So, you know, it, but there are farms out there that are thousands of acres. Uh, so how does that change what it's used for though? So you mentioned earlier that there's over 900 farms in total in the county. Um, of that, about 640 are under 200 acres. Um, so that is, that's a good question. Um, I think there is a mix in there of those smaller acreage farms are either, you know, maybe somebody like myself, when I first was getting started with the freezer beef thing, we only had 10 acres. Um, we decided to get some cows and start raising the, the steers and selling the meat. Um, and I think that's a pretty typical story for anybody that lives in a rural environment like in Champaign County that, you know, they come out and they buy a five or 10 acre lot. And what are we going to do with all this ground? I don't want to mow it all. So right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to figure something out here and either, you know, grow some livestock or grow some vegetables or something they can sell and try to make some money there. Uh, so I think there's a lot of that going on. Um, but then I think too, a good portion of that is maybe a person owns, you know, whatever that is, a hundred acre farm. Um, they don't have interest in farming it themselves. So they, you know, partner with another farmer, a larger farmer, and maybe not necessarily rent them the ground, but do it on a 50, 50 share. So they're still considered the farmer on that property. It's just someone else is either custom doing it or they're just getting a share of that crop. So some of that is kind of a technicality that it's, you know, the person owns it and is still engaged in kind of the management aspect, but not actually doing the farming themselves too. Now you kind of touched on this um, as far as profitability. So what is the biggest challenge to the industry? And right now, just cost of everything. It is, it's crazy. Uh, just in, just like everything, I guess, that since COVID and supply chain issues and all that sort of thing, that um, it is hard to get anything. 
Um, and if you can get it, it's expensive. So, uh, particularly equipment, I have a good friend that's, you know, works at a equipment dealership here locally. And we were joking all the time that he doesn't have inventory to sell, <laughs> you know, his, his jobs to sell equipment and they have none to sell. So, or if you do order something new, uh, you're looking at a year out before you get it. And the prices have gone, gone up quite a bit and, uh, input costs, I mean, equipment aside, you know, a, a grain farmer needs seed, they need fertilizer, they need chemicals to keep the weeds away, uh, things like that. So all of that stuff has really skyrocketed, particularly the fertilizer. And it goes back to, uh, can you even get it? And some of that's kind of worked out here in the last few months. Um, but going back to last winter, moving into this year's growing season, uh, things were kind of kind of hairy. You guys were pretty nervous about getting just what they needed to to keep growing a crop. So because of the economics, are you seeing more things like mega farms? And I know for a while, contract farming was was a big deal. In other words, somebody doing the harvesting for you. I feel like there isn't a lot of that around here. And more so, the contract aspect is in the livestock industry, in primarily in Ohio. Um, a lot of the, and not, we don't have a lot of it in Champaign County, but you go to the, to the West to get into dark and Mercer County. Uh, there's a lot of poultry barns. There's a lot of hog barns that are probably contracted with another grower, um, of the, that large, what you'd think more of as a corporate farm, um, is, you know, contracted with that farmer to produce pigs for them in their, in that barn. So, um, but as far as the harvesting goes, there is some of that, um, but it's more on a smaller scale. Um, again, that maybe a person uh, has that smaller acreage and just partners with another farmer to come in and just custom harvest for, for them. Um, but as far as a, a being a large scale thing, it's not like it is. You know, you hear about the the harvesting crews that out west that move from Texas, right, Texas right. up to Canada, you know, just harvesting all across the the whole Midwest, and we don't we don't really get into that here. It's just a different environment, and field size is much smaller, and there just isn't as much opportunity, I think, for somebody to have a harvesting company like that up here. So, and the weather is so much different. You out west, it's dry all the time. You can just work all the time. Uh, we're That's here a good point. <laughs> here. We we have to dance around rain showers and and our field conditions right and all that sort of thing. So. It's actually much easier for somebody, even if they aren't really that big of a farmer, to still own their own harvesting equipment just to get it done in a timely fashion and not have the crop, you know, be unharvestable. So, so in regards to a typical farm, what types of equipment is tip, is typically needed? Uh, so, I guess to keep in grain production, uh, you, know, you need a tractor, uh, you need a planter, you have to get the crop planted, you need a combine, got to harvest it somehow. Um, need a way to haul that grain typically. Uh, so either, you know, wagons or a semi or whatever. Um, and typically a farm, we'll say a thousand acres or plus, uh, is going to have a sprayer probably. Um, there are many companies that you can hire, uh, to do your spraying for you, but uh, a lot of times the guys have that themselves. So, um, and you know, each of those things, to buy it new and be of any size anymore, you're looking at half a million dollars. Wow. So, I mean, you're, you know, easily could have millions of dollars in equipment wrapped up in a farming operation. So, and that's just kind of the bare bones. You know, a lot of these would, a, a large farm would have 
two planers or two combines or more. Now, we often talk about uh, the, the various growing and selling processes involved in meat and produce. But what are some of the in-between processes that, that are often involved? Yeah, there's a lot of companies around that are involved in, in farming. I mean, uh, it's our number one industry in Champaign County. So there's a lot of, you know, aspects going into that. Um, you know, we have several grain elevators around, uh, that are, you know, a, a guy that grows grain needs a way to sell it, needs somebody to take it. So, um, there's, you know, all those outlets. Uh, there's a lot of companies focused on, you know, that crop production aspect that, um, we kind of touched on farmers owning a sprayer there a little bit ago, but there are, there are many companies out there that will do custom spraying, that'll do the fertilizer application, uh, that will do the support needed for all of those different things that, you know, how much fertilizer does a, a farmer need and in what fields and in what kinds, uh, you know, so companies that are doing the soil sampling, uh, that are doing, like I say, doing that application, um, making those recommendations, um, and again, the spraying aspect of it can be, can be pretty complex. So you, a lot of guys will need someone to partner with. Um, and that's kind of where I can, can fit an extension. Um, but don't always, uh, there's guys that will hire that done, hire a consultant, um, hire somebody from the co-op or whatever, uh, to come out and, and give them guidance there, um, as far as what products they ought to be looking at and, and how to get that applied. Uh, to keep that crop growing the way it should be and hopefully producing, you know, as much as they want. You know, often I think we just assume that everything is grown or raised for human consumption. Uh, but there are many other uses for the various products in, in county, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So we see corn and soybeans, corn and soybeans, you know, all over the place. And uh, nobody goes to Kroger and buys a bag of soybeans or a right, bag of corn, right, you exactly. know. So, uh, you know, where does all that go and what's it do? Um, you know, there's two bigger, uh, end users, I guess, so to speak in the area, um, Anderson's in, uh, or the Anderson's in Greenville as uh, ethanol. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of corn that goes over there. Um, a tremendous amount of corn actually, uh, that goes into that. Um, so they're not only producing ethanol, uh, you know, for, to be mixed with gas, uh, but they're also in turn then selling, uh, their used corn, so to speak, uh, back to livestock producers that feed it then. So, um, and then Cargill, uh, both in Sydney and in Dayton, uh, buy a lot of grain in this area as well. Sydney uh, is primarily soybeans and a lot of that goes into just the soybean oil and all the different uses for that. Uh, a lot of salad dressing, quite honestly, is, is made there. Um, or at least kind of the beginning of it and starts there. Um, and then Cargill and Dayton, uh, just corn milling, um, a lot of that goes to animal feed and, uh, pet food too. Um, there's, a they have a large, uh, I guess you call it a mill, uh, pet food mill, uh, down in that Dayton area. And that goes to, to all that sort of thing, dog food. So, so what would you say has changed the most, uh, in farming over the last several decades? I would say the technology for sure. Um, that we have gone from really just in the last 10 to 20 years from having no electronics, I guess, so to speak in a, in a machine, you know, just a guy, you know, that tractor combine, just that mechanical aspect of it, um, getting that job done, um, to now we have, everything's computerized, everything's recorded, uh, you know, a, a yield monitors in the combine that, uh, 
so many, and it's not just the yield, uh, but it's the yield, it's the moisture, you know, where down to, you know, almost a square inch and where that uh, information came from is uh, recorded there. So, and even what direction that machine's traveling, um, all there's, there's so many different aspects that are recorded there and it's all goes back to management then. So, because you can't, you can't manage what you don't measure. Right. So, and that's what we have all these different ways of measuring now, basically. And really the biggest jump hasn't necessarily been the development of those technologies or the implementation of those technologies, but what do we do with it? Right. <laughs> and that's what, uh, because yield monitors have been around for a long time now, but we're really still just getting to the point where we're really delving into using that information to drive decisions for the next year then. And which is what I did a lot uh, when I was at Integrated Ag and plan on continuing to do uh, now through extensions. So um, there's a lot of potential there uh, for the digital ag is kind of a term that's thrown around a lot now in using that, that information and you know, we've got drones now that are, you know, doing all kinds of things that are, you know, may even not just collecting the information and taking pictures, but actually making the applications in and spraying and spreading fertilizer, uh, you know, down to specific pinpointed areas. Okay. Last question for this segment. Uh, what has made uh, your job much more challenging? Back to the technology piece, I guess that it, you know, it's great. Everything's great when it works. Um, but it's not great when it doesn't. And, uh, and I think that's, what's most frustrating for some growers is that a lot of times we get back to like in the, in the combine, you know, there's the, the machine part of it that actually does the job. Right. And there's the, the, uh, electronic part of it. That's sometimes, sometimes controlling the machine and sometimes just recording what's going on. And if that uh, electronic part fails, it's really frustrating I'll bet. <laughs> to, to, you know, either myself or to a grower. And uh, so how do you get around that? You know, just try to keep on top of things. And, and what's particularly frustrating is this is all tied to GPS, right? You have to have GPS to know where what's happening happened, you know? Uh, so if you lose that GPS signal, then everything kind of falls apart. I see. So, and that's what, uh, it's particularly frustrating to a guy that's sitting in the field. There's no reason why he shouldn't be able to keep going other than he can't get a GPS signal. So (laughs) it, uh, it can be kind of, like I say, pretty frustrating. In the second segment, I'd like to talk more about the specific types of farming in Champaign County and some of the processes, programs, and initiatives available to help promote the industry. We'd like to take this time to remind our listeners that all of True Chat's podcasts help pursue a common goal, to educate people by providing honest, open, and respectful conversations and information. To learn more about Mercy Moments, listen to the recap at the end of the program, and to search for previous episodes or find ways to listen, please visit us at mercymoments.org. Are you in need of medical imaging services? Then look no further. For Mercy Health Urbana Hospital and its newly renovated imaging and women's center, now offers everything from CT, MRI, and ultrasound to DEXA, and yes, even 3D mammography. Also, our team of board-certified radiologists will work with your prescriber to provide accurate and timely results. To learn more about medical imaging services, please visit us at Mercy. Welcome back. So our topic today has been about agriculture and specifically in Champaign County. And our guest today has been 
Grant Davis. Grant, welcome back. Thank you. So from doing the show for, for several years, I'm always amazed by how intricate and complex many of our topics uh, really are. You know, for example, I think that many people would just assume that farming is nothing more than, you know, planting seeds and feeding livestock. But there's a lot more that actually goes into running a successful farm, correct? Absolutely. For example, there's a lot of research involved. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about like on farming and e-fields and e-barns and things like that? Sure. Uh, so in extension, uh, that's a lot of what we focus on is uh, the research aspect. Um, we found that that is where we fit uh, very well, that even uh, a lot of the consultants as well as farmers uh, rely on the information that we're putting out as far as uh, research goes to know you know, what products are actually worthwhile to a farmer. Um, you know, there's a lot of term that's thrown around is called snake oil, you know, that uh, anybody can can put something in a jug and, and right. market, market it to a farmer and say, this is going to make your crop grow better. And, but does it really? And so that's where extension fits. Um, so e-barn, or I'm sorry, e-fields um, started in 2017, I believe, uh, was the first year. And that was our... A uh, big push to try to get some of the research out faster. Um, so uh, traditionally, you know, farm on-farm research would be done, and we try to get multiple years of the same trial and have those replications and kind of that more traditional research aspect, which is good. And there's still we're still doing that, and there's still a place for that. Um, but we found that farmers. They want to know sooner than they don't want to wait on a three or five year study. You know, <laughs> right. they want to know right away what's what's good, what's bad. Right. Uh, so that's kind of where the uh, e fields fits. Um, it's more of a single year focus. And hey, here's what we went out and did. Um, sometimes it's more of a traditional research. You know, and having different reps of a of a product or something. And sometimes it's even just more exploratory and like you know, hey, here's this different method of doing something. We're just going to go try it. Here's what we found. I mean, there may not be actual data tied to that, but it's just, uh, you know, did it work or not in general? And then brand new for this year is actually the e-barns, uh, which is along the same lines, but uh, from the livestock industry aspect in, you know, what works a different feed formulation or maybe a different feed additive um, manure use, you know, can we, uh, you know, the tr traditional aspect of manure is you just get rid of it, right? You know, go spread it in the field. Um, but there's a lot of nutrient value there. Right, exactly. And can we manage our nutrient placement a little bit better uh, using manure uh, from that? So there's a lot of different uh, topics about manure and e-barns. And we're going to look at that to uh, grow here in the next couple of years or, or coming future. Uh, I can say it's brand new for this year and hopefully – That'll keep uh, getting bigger. Now, you touched on a, a little bit about the um, the extension land-grant program. So, how does that work? So, not to get too much of a history lesson, I guess, but um, that goes back to um, 1862. Uh, the Morrill Act established land-grant institutions, uh, which is what Ohio State is. Um, basically, that just provides uh, one college or university uh, that should – uh, focus on agriculture and mechanics. Interesting. Um, so, and that's what, you know, it was really Ohio A&M, you know, way back when. Um, and that, you know, kind of changed into Ohio, or Ohio State University as we know it now. 
Um, so then we talked about research. Um, in 1887, the Hatch Act started uh, the research leg of that, that we should also have uh, research farms uh, that are part of the university and also, you know, get support from the state uh, to try to you know, better agriculture in the state. And then 1914, uh, the Smith-Lever Act established extension uh, to basically be just what we, just what it describes, that extension of the university out into communities uh, at the county level. So there's, theoretically, there should be an extension office with an, hopefully an A&R educator like myself out in every county in the state. And that's grown into uh, not only ag and natural resources, but uh, 4-H. Um, so there's a, a 4-H program in every county and uh, family and consumer sciences. And some have a community development uh, educator as well. That's a good point. You guys you guys get local support as well, correct? I mean, our funding comes from uh, various different levels, um, but a lot of it comes from the local level uh, from the county commissioners. So, and we're blessed here in the county to have strong support from the commissioners. And we always are grateful for a way to, to mention that and say that we're, we're glad to have that. So just another reason why local elections are important that, you know, there's a lot of times that people don't realize what county commissioners even do. And that is one right. major aspect that, you know, they, they dole out all the county's money pretty much um, and decide what programs get what and, and to what extent. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're blessed to have some strong support from them. So how did a lot of the farms in Champaign County get started? And by that, I mean, did they get passed down from generation to generation or, or what? Yeah, uh, a lot of times I think that's the normal, I guess, so to speak, uh, way of that transition. It is interesting here in Champaign County that there are several, uh, you know, multi-generation farms that uh, some have even been been active in farming since Champaign County has existed. I mean, it's gone back that far, so um, which is really kind of unique. Um, I don't have that number, but it'd be interesting to know, like in the state, how many farms have really been around that long. But um, but yeah, there's several around, and I think that's kind of the typical way of a farm just gets passed down from generation to generation. Um, not always, um, but it happens, you know, more often than not. So have you seen, you know, consolidation of farms or has that number actually increased? Yeah, it's kind of interesting that the number of farms has increased, you know, kind of back to what we talked about earlier that, you know, it's pretty easy to be considered a farm. Um, right, exactly. <laughs> so that number has grown. Um, but if you look at strictly, you know, commercial grain farming, which is what we have a lot of here in the county, um, that number has actually decreased. Um, so we talked about the amount of small farms earlier. But if you look at the amount of farms that are actually a thousand acres or more, uh, there's only 47, at least according to the 2017 census of agriculture. So, you know, that's not many, <laughs> obviously. Right, exactly. So, um, and so I think we go back to that passing down from generation to generation. And what happens a lot is that, okay, dad's farming, son wants to be involved. There maybe isn't really enough to go around to support two families then. So we need to expand. And right, how, do exactly. we, how do we do that? Uh, either we buy more ground or we rent more ground or maybe the neighbor down the road is going to retire here in the next year or two. Um, maybe there's an opportunity there. So then, you know, that neighbor has whatever, how many acres he has that gets absorbed by this other farm so that the sun can be a part of it. So and that grows and grows and grows. So there could be those multi-generations we talked about, there could be whatever, three to five families 
all in the same operation that are you know all working together which is which is really pretty cool but it does take that consolidation to happen though and that's a good point so what are some of the demographics of the typical farmer in champaign county stereotypical you know everybody thinks of you know the white guy in his bibs and his chewing on his piece of straw as a farmer but um and i think that's probably a lot of what we have are white males um but there are getting to be uh, a lot more women involved. Um, we talked about that, you know, the multi-generational aspect and, and many families working together. Um, you know, there's a lot that involve the wife or the daughter. You know, it it w- always was thought of, you know, it's the sons that are going to take over in farming. And we're seeing that's not necessarily the case anymore. Right. And I think back to, you know, the technology aspect of it, too, that. You know, there's farming is less physical than what it used to be. It's still hard work. It's still long hours and there's a physical aspect to it. But a lot of it is just operating machinery and there's nothing that says a woman can't do that. So um, there are many uh, women farmers as well, uh, either operating the farm, you know, solely themselves or as part of, you know, that moldy family unit uh, running a farm. And we talked about, you know, how there's a lot of cropland. So naturally, you know, many of the farms are growing things like wheat and corn and soybeans, but what other types of produce uh, do we see grown here locally? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting actually that we're um, trying to get my statistics right. Um, if you look at aquaculture in uh, that, we mentioned that census of ag, Champaign County is ranked third in Ohio in aquaculture. Interesting. And as well as third in Ohio in vegetable, melons, potatoes, and sweet potatoes. Um, so that's really pretty interesting because we, like I say, we think of grain primarily as what we see, um, but there are still uh, some really interesting different uh, aspects of agriculture that are happening just right here in our doorstep. So um, we do have, uh, you know, one larger grower in that uh, produce section. Um, I think potatoes and and uh, green beans primarily uh, is what they're doing. Um, and then the aquaculture aspect, uh, we do have one really pretty good sized grower that is involved with aquaculture and, and has a very good, you know, presence in the community and and has a big festival in the fall and, and all that. So uh, it's it's kind of a unique situation, I guess, that we have here that we do have those those different aspects as long as the as well as the more of the traditional aspects of farming. You know, you bring up a good point because in the first segment we talked a little bit about uh, some of the in between processes and all those unique or hybrid farms uh, require some kind of 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 in between process. So can you talk about some of those that, uh, companies that are in Champaign County? You know, every uh, livestock producer, you know, needs to have that, uh, you know, a place to sell their product and, and that's going to be meat in some way. Uh, so we have, you know, processing, uh, animal processing and that kind of stuff that, uh, we need to have that done. We mentioned the aquaculture that it is a unique aspect, but they almost take that, into their own hands that they also have to do their own marketing. They have to do their own, uh, get that product out and to the consumer right. and, uh, and way to go. So that's kind of the, I guess the interesting aspect of some of the more non-traditional things that you have to take that into your own hands and, and you're kind of, it's, you know, vertically integrated, I guess, to, to throw that term out there that, uh, you have to, to be that way to, to get your product and, and in turn make any money from it. So. And you, and you kind of touched on the marketing aspect. So you guys have, have 
move to to have a more like direct to consumer relationship in county, correct? Yeah, there's a lot of that that goes on. Um, like I say, the the fish aspect, and then there's a lot of the uh, smaller producers, the smaller farms we mentioned. You know, some of them are are more of the you know, they have that, you know, five or 10 acres or, or more that what are we going to do with it? So we're going to raise some cattle or we're going to raise some pigs or some chickens or maybe all those things and look at selling the eggs. We're going to sell the meat, you know, all that sort of stuff uh, right to the consumer. So I think that's something that since COVID has uh, really gotten more interest uh, because people remember going to the grocery store during COVID and there's no meat in the freezer there. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, well, okay, well, where can I get it locally? And that was already kind of starting to happen anyway, uh, that there's been just in the last, you know, I don't know, whatever, five, 10 years that more of a focus in doing things locally, you know, particularly getting, how do we get our food locally and trying to be more healthy, but also more green, you know, that we're not, you know, there's a lot of, Traditionally, a cattle, you know, cattle are hauled to the a big processing plant, maybe in Iowa, and then are processed and then hauled back out to all the grocery stores, you know, in the country. And so it's all this food traveling around on semi truck. It, it needs to happen. There's a reason it happens that way for the most part. But uh, I think there is that that growing interest in we don't need to be a part of that. You know, how can we support our local people right here and in turn maybe get a higher quality product and that's potentially healthier uh it's potentially healthier for the environment and is just you know better in general now fall fall is usually a pretty busy time for you guys correct absolutely yeah there's a lot of stuff going on here <laughs> there's uh grain harvest uh you know we we talked about the research aspect uh you know that is something that uh takes some time you have to be conscientious as we're harvesting uh to make sure we're we're harvesting our strips right i guess so to speak and getting those uh whatever products we may have tested uh to get that information co uh, collected correctly uh so we know you know is our re research doing anything um and then just the general harvest you know of of getting that crop in uh, a lot of that going on um but a lot of the things that people don't think about is not only the the combines harvesting and then the semis semis hauling that grain away um, you know, on the drive over here, I passed a fertilizer spreader, uh, going down the road. So as that crop comes off, you know, fertilizer is being spread for next year's crop. Um, probably soil samples are being taken and kind of in conjunction with that fertilizer spreading. Uh, we, we talk about spraying and normally we think about killing weeds, you know, in that growing crop. Uh, but the, really the first part of that starts in the fall. Uh, there's a lot of spraying that actually happens in the fall just to kind of have that clean slate moving into next year too. Well, you talked about research and we really haven't touched on this too much. What are some of the educational resources and uh, other training available in the area? Sure. Uh, so just like everything, I mean, I hate to always point people to a website, but <laughs> that's uh, where a lot of our information is housed anymore. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, different resources available uh, through OSU on the internet. Um, just, you know, go.osu.edu, um, get to extension. Uh, there's so many different segments of, you know, whatever you're looking for, whether it's ag crops, whether it's beef, you know, swine, sheep, poultry, um, farm management. There's a big emphasis uh, here lately on farm management um, because we feel like that's a good area where we fit that there's a need in the state and here locally too, that, you know, guys are looking for support in, 
you know, how do I manage the business aspect of farming and, you know, the, all the taxes involved and, you know, the, and we talked about that multi-generational aspect. How do I do that legally and make it make sense for all parties involved? You right. know, we can't just, okay, well, grandpa's going to give it to dad and dad's going to give it to me. Well, okay, but grandpa may have to go to a nursing home and how are we going to pay for that if he doesn't have any you know, resources now because he passed that on. So, you know, that sort of stuff, um, guys are looking for that type of information. So, uh, we're trying to provide that as a university. Well, that pretty much does it, uh, for the program today. And, uh, we always like to end the program with something that we like to call Caring Corner. November is awareness month for several important health issues. The first of which being diabetes. And like the American Diabetes Association, Mercy Health would like to remind you that there are resources out there available to help fight this disease, with ultimately the goal being to reduce the burden of diabetes and improve the lives of those living with the condition. Also, November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month, which unfortunately is the leading cause of cancer-related deaths in the United States. Fortunately, however, there are now processes in place to help screen for this disease, which usually means meeting certain criteria and talking it over with your prescriber. In addition, many insurances now even cover those who qualify. Finally, Mercy Health would like to remind everyone that November is COPD Awareness Month, and the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, or NHLBI, states that not only is smoking a leading cause of lung cancer, but of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease as well. And that it strongly encourages people to quit smoking. To learn more about all these initiatives, please visit us at www.mercy.com. We'd like to end the program today by reminding everyone that our goal here at Mercy Moments is to promote local resources, awareness, and involvement. Therefore, if you have any comments related to past episodes or have suggestions for future programs, please contact us at T-A-C-E-Y-L-E-R at Mercy.com. That's capital T-A-C-E-Y-L-E-R at Mercy.com. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest, Grant Davis, for being here. You can listen to Mercy Moments on True Chat via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere else fine podcasts are found. For Mercy Moments, Mercy Health Urbana Hospital, and True Chat, I'm your host, T. Allen Sealer. I'm Grant Davis. Thanks for listening today. Stay healthy, Ohio. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.